You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. The views and opinions expressed on this show do not necessarily represent those of the network, its advertisers, owners, or sponsors. Buck up, buck up, buck up, buck up, buck up, buck up. You know the devil. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Can We Talk? Remember to like and share. Like and share, please. Uh, this is your boy, Eric. I'm here with Shane and Anthony, and our special guest today is Dennis. What's going on, Dennis? What's going on, brother? So tell us a little bit about yourself. This is your, your first time on the show. No doubt. No. First of all, you know, thanks for the invite. Thanks for just giving me the opportunity to just share my voice. Uh, so uh, just a bio by myself. Uh, uh, born and raised in the city of Detroit. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, started at an HBCU. As a matter of fact, Howard University. Mm-hmm. Ultimately undergraduate. Uh, graduated from Wayne State mm-hmm. uh, in Africana Studies and Political Science. And then uh, MSA uh, in Integrated Leadership mm-hmm. from uh, CMU. That's what's up. So we're going to talk about a little bit later. Um, you know, HBCUs versus PWIs. But yes, we get sir. to that later. Before then, we got our current events. So I was looking at recently, um, I guess Jeff Sessions recently approved to roll back the Obama regulations. And this is where essentially the, the states who have made marijuana legal, the federal gov- government can now overstep and sort of prosecute those individuals in those states. So hear about that? Yes. That is, that's going to be messy. You know, Republicans continue to talk about, oh, I want the state rights. You know, state rights are important. But this is taking away the state's rights to choose what they want for their, their citizens. And this was just, I was kind of, I mean, I'm no, I don't even smoke weed. But <laughs> I'm like, how can you really do this? Like, this is something where you give the states the right to vote. The citizens of that state can vote on this this topic of, uh, of marijuana. And if they voted to, to approve it, I think that should, you know, supersede everything in that sense. Um, but it, I guess... You know, this this rollback is going to really affect us in terms of how um, they police, you know, marijuana in those states. And we are already seeing a lot of individuals incarcerated for marijuana charges, which I think is stupid. And that's going to just continue to increase, in my opinion. Yeah, but like, you know, any type of like drug like legislation, especially when it comes to marijuana, you know, it's Mm going to affect black people more than it does other groups of people. I mean, me personally, though, fair I, assessment. I think that any drugs, they need to make all drugs legal and just tax it. But, you know, like over the past like year or maybe a couple of years, like in addition to the decriminalization of marijuana, we've also seen like the like, the, I guess, the humanization of heroin drug addicts mm, yeah. versus, you know, cocaine or crack, you know, addicts. Right. So like. And I know Trump said something about that, saying that, you know, the heroin epidemic is a, like a health care, like it's a crisis. And it's a crisis. But still, even even with heroin and crack, again, you're, you're coming from two different perspectives of who's the main users of those or uh-huh. supposed main users of those. Um, but the fact is, with drug laws in this country, we don't do a good job of rehabilitating people. We just use, the, you know, uh, the justice system as a form of rehabilitation. It doesn't work. You know, so it's, it's one of those things where we need to really. If again, if you're gonna legalize drugs, I personally think you should just legalize all drugs because people are gonna do it regardless and just tax it, make money from it. I mean, what's the point of really crim- criminalizing people, putting people in jail for something that? Eric, don't say that. Don't say legalize all drugs. I'm t- they might people are gonna do it anyway. Why not tax it, get money for it, pay for roads, pay for education? Because people are gonna do it. Alcohol is worse than any 
drug out well not any drug but alcohol is just as bad as any drug so you want to legalize crack man you, <laughs> no no people, no think about, the question you want to legalize crack people are going to do it people yeah they're right, going to do, do it so why so so why why justify putting people in jail right if they're going to do it anyway, why not just tax it like we do any other cigarettes? Because we're sending alcohol. our kids to death. But that's where it comes to if you as as a parent, I would know like all right. Is it a death sentence though? It's not like heroin, like where you can only last like maybe legalize six years. all drugs. That's what Crack the man just usually said. Last about twenty. Man, it don't matter how long they <laughs> last. We're sending them to mental uh, death. But think about we're, there is going to be people who fall through cracks anyway. I think it's about your foundation and what you're. You're built on. If you have a strong foundation so within your household, so you're basically where saying, you know, so you're basically saying, fuck them. You know, think about it. No, that's not. No, well, like people are going to do it anyway. Of course, right? But that not, doesn't mean you should legalize. It. Not well, everyone. Alcohol should, but like he was saying, like alcohol is legal. Um, prescription drugs are legal, yeah. and they are worse than you know what's out there, like on the street. Of course, you're gonna have regulations on it. You can't just say, oh, you can be a five year old, ten year old, twelve year old. <laughs> Obviously, there's going to be restrictions, and just like uh, tobacco, not everyone smokes. People know that there's, there's health um, circumstances or health um, damages that can be caused to your health if you smoke. And so, why not do the same thing? People want to know, like, all right, it's going to be a huge warning. If you do this, you know, you might end up dead. Right. Right. So I mean, it's just like cigarettes, just like tobacco. There's going to be a risk in it, and if you teach kids to avoid that risk early, hopefully, that deserves them. Let me just give a, a moment of silence for all those who lost their careers in the sexual harassment oh. era. Because <laughs> I think I think it's finally did and done. I haven't seen any posts so? on anybody new. I, I think you know. I think the the, um, the um, run is over. I don't think. So. Hey, I think we it, it's just getting started. I think I it's know, gonna man. it's going to go to other industries. Yeah, like um like it, it hit movies. It's gonna mm. hit music. I think it's gonna hit journalism. It's gonna. I Probably. think it's gonna well, go did, to different. Though. Oh yeah, that guy from the. Uh, I think it was the free one of the free Ch- writers, Charlie Rose, yeah. uh, Russell Simmons. It already did kind of hit all yeah. stages. But I think as far as like you know, everybody coming out day after day, I think that run is kind of over for the minute. Yeah. So let's. I guess you don't have the the hip hop corner, but you got R and B corner today. So Shayna, what, what's what you been listening to? Um, I I've been listening to Miguel's album a lot. Okay. What's the name of it? Warren Leisure. Warren okay. Leisure. What you think about a, it so far? I really like it. He got a cut on there with J. Cole that I, that I really like. I thought J. Cole was done with features. He said mm-hmm. he was. Oh, wow. I guess you he got to make, make, make that money. <laughs> got to do what you got to do out here. So you, you think it's uh it's worth getting? Oh, of course. But I, don't, I, don't, I stream, so. Um. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. So right. let's move on to uh, to Anthony. My two, two cents. Yeah. Kind of three cents today. I saw I saw three new movies since we last spoke. Um, I'll just run down the line. I saw The Shape of Water today. Um, mm-hmm. It's a Best Picture contender director Guillermo del Toro. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's known for Pan's Labyrinth and Hellboy. I think this might be him at his best, man. You know, um, it's it's, it's um, I don't know the era per se, but I think it's in the thirties or forties. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a deaf woman who falls in love with a creature in the water, and uh, Michael Shannon plays a um, a security kind of officer that wants to keep this creature caged and it's about you know equality and all that and it's just a it's a it's a nice love story i don't think it's the 30s or 40s but it's some era in the past um i also saw lady bird which was a great independent movie um i've i related to the main character because she's a um she's a teenager from a lower middle class family Mm. in her senior year of high school trying to figure out who she is and she goes to a catholic high school um 
you know, that's that that's made a lot of waves. Uh, I think at one point it had like 99 percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Oh, uh, I think it was tied with Get Out for like the most for like the highest rated film on there. Okay. Third film I saw was I, Tanya. And uh, it's about Tanya Harding. I don't know. For all those listening, you know, with the whole Olympic scandal, I think it was in the 80s or 90s. It was like early 90s. <clears throat> early 90s. Early 90s. Um, Tanya Harding was a figure skater, and she was involved with the incident of um, allegedly um, knee- kneecapping. Uh, uh, <laughs> I don't even know if that's alleged. Eh? <laughs> she Her, took a knee. Well, what the, 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 the film is interesting. Um, uh, Nancy Kerrigan, her um, opponent, got kneecapped, and um, they believed that she was involved with it. In this film... It kind of tells a story about where she comes from with her, you know, um, abusive mother, abusive boyfriend. And um, Margot Robbie, man, you know, she's she's come up, man. Mm-hmm. She's come a long way from being, you know, butt naked in a Scorsese <laughs> film. And she's a great actress. You know, she she really does her thing in this one, man. I think she might get the, uh, the actress now, the oh, best seriously? actress now. Yeah. But the Tanya Harding story has always been complex to me, man. Like, there's yeah. a great 30 for 30 documentary called The Price of Gold that I think you should watch. Okay. But yeah, man, that's my three cents. You know, three good movies. Man, I, I got to see these movies. I heard some good things about um, I Tanya, so I definitely check that out at some point. But man, I'm I'm really um, waiting for for February for Black for, Panther, for Black Panther yeah. to come out. I'm yeah. so excited for that, and we need to see that together. We got to make sure that happens. <laughs> Marvel is they're really stacking the deck, man. You know, it yeah. hasn't been a long time since Thor Ragnarok, right? And all of a sudden now we got was that this. November. They showed the previews when I went to go see. I don't remember Star Wars: The Last Jedi. Mm. I saw a preview for Black Panther, then Infinity War. I'm like, man, y'all really cutting it close, ain't y'all? That's because they're constantly just in production. You Every- got you got any notes to add? Any movies you've seen? Uh, recently, let me think about that. Uh, I went to go check out that Star Wars with the kids. Oh yeah. Okay. See, I, I'll be honest, man. I, I'm I'm a dad, man. Me and my wife, <laughs> hey, we got a Brady bunch. She brought in two boys. I got two boys. We had a daughter together, man. So mm. I mean, for the last 11 years, I've seen. Every kid's movie. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing wrong with the kids' movies, though. No I'd be having some fun watching those. How how was Fernandad? I know you saw Fernandad. that one. Oh, Fernandad. Yeah, man, look, let me tell you something, man. That was brilliant. Yeah. John Cena did a yeah. really, really good yeah, job. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Okay. Yeah, man. Like, it's like, man, you see some of these movies. Now, you got to be careful, man. You know, just from a parent perspective, it's like... Uh, you know, you can see some of the innuendo and, mm, and you right. know, some, some of the little, you know, uh, messages that they attempt to put into some of the movies. But it's just mm. the point of, man, just making sure that your kids understand. Mm. Okay. Yeah, I want to see that one. No doubt. Nice, nice. So, y'all, we're going to get to this main topic real quick. And so, we had this discussion. Well, I had this idea, and I hear a lot of discussion about this. It's highly debated on, on Twitter and other social media platforms. The differences and, I guess, educations that you may receive between publicly white institutions. So, for instance, Michigan State would be a publicly white institution, and HBCUs. And seeing that three of the four of us went to Michigan State, we didn't really, really have anyone to talk from the HBCU perspective. So that's why we have Dennis here. So we wanted to have a little conversation about, again, the differences, whether one's better or worse, what do you think is the best um, institution for you know African Americans to sort of progress in and just sort of just a little dialogue about that no doubt no doubt uh well one, one thing i can say about that is, is obviously you know it, it, it's uh it's an individual choice mm. uh everybody's got different backgrounds uh you know everybody's got a different socioeconomic you know uh situation that they come from mm. and for mm-hmm. me you know coming from the city of detroit going to renaissance high school college wasn't an end-all be-all for me yeah. you know college was the next step a mm. lot of people that's it for them. They right. made it. They're the first in their family to go to college. And that's it. There is no guidance from that point. 
with HBCUs, you have a strong support system. Mm. Uh, for example, you know, going to Howard and, and just to, you know, just, I just wanted to just calibrate some things here. Is I, I was only there for two years. Mm. But then I came back to Wayne State. And I was able to get active and involved within, uh, you know, different student organizations along the campus, including becoming president of uh, Wayne State Student Council. Mm. But uh, but going to Howard, it shifted my perspective. Mm. Uh, it shifted my outlook on things. And it really gave me uh, the understanding, first of all, there's a lot of and, and here's a big argument that a lot of folks make who go to PWIs is that HBCUs lack diversity. What you'll find going to a PWI is actually the exact opposite. Like PWIs like the diversity. They, they do like right. <laughs> Yeah, they do. Yeah, they That's do. just what they are. They're, they're PWI. I mean, you know, especially, I mean, you guys with the Michigan State. And I'll be honest with you. When I came back to Wayne State, I was up there every weekend. <laughs> <laughs> well, the parties are fun. No doubt. No doubt. I mean, you know, starting at Brody to all the other ones. You know, I mean, it is what it is. Fake the funk, all that. But, um, but, what, but what I can say is that there's a strong support system amongst HBCUs. And, and you can call it maternalism, paternalism, mm-hmm. et cetera. But uh, but having that support system, uh, having people who are definitely who are in your court, mm. who, you know, like, you know, good or bad, they have what we call a love and logic approach. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it gives you the opportunity to say, hey, man, like hey, they're in it for me. Hey, I'm going to see this through. Mm. You know, I, I'm going to graduate, you know, as opposed to going to a PWI. And, and not all are the same. Right. But, you know, you have I mean, it's basically a figure it out on your own. You know what? I and, I and speaking from my perspective, once I got into Michigan State and coming from King High School, which is majority black, no doubt, you have this culture shock, and it's like, you know, where do I fit in? Where right. do I belong here? And it was so, it was so like for the first week and a half, maybe two weeks, I'm like, I don't know if I like it up here. <laughs> right, 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 it was right. hard for me because I'm, I just wasn't used to it. Well, that's oh yeah, go ahead. Well, I mean, you can go ahead and finish. I was gonna say that's just transition. Yeah, but it was more so because I wasn't used to being again. You could walk. You could walk through the halls in your high school and see people look like you and sort of relate to people. And when you're at, at when I was in Michigan State for the first few weeks or so, I had to sort of make it my. I, don't know, I had to go out of my way to sort of make those connections. Like people weren't just right. gonna come up to me and say, "Oh, hey, what's going on, Eric?" Right. It was more so, "All right, where, where can I? What can I do to to, to join or, or try to find people I can sort of bond with?" Right. Um, I mean, what are you? What are your perspectives, you, Anthony, and Shana? Well, I agree a lot with with, with what I, with what our guest said. You know. Um, my thing was when I got out of uh, senior year, I would have been the first one in my family to go to college. No and mm-hmm. my, you know, my naivete, my naivete response was I want to go somewhere where there's diversity. Yeah. And I didn't really want to go out of state. I just felt like this is a personal thing to me. I felt like I belonged at Michigan State University. Mm-hmm. I felt like they had what I needed. Mm-hmm. So I went there. I had a scholarship. You know, um, God bless. I had yeah. that. So I, I went there and. The thing with me was I I felt like you, Eric, you know, after I mean, for the first few couple of weeks, I felt good to be out of the house. But then oh, I got a little scared. You know, yeah. I'm like, man, I'm, I'm really out on my own here. I'm living with these two strangers because, uh, you know, back then on MSU, some people had to live with like two other roommates right. because they would be a little backed up. Over, yep. But I got involved with this community called Emerald. And that that led me to like the diverse unit I was looking for. But I always thought in the back of my head, well, like, how is it at the HBCUs? Because my naivete mind was like, well. I know black people. Right. right. You know, I mean, I wouldn't mind going to college with my own people, but I kind of want to learn about other cultures. You know what I mean? Are there other cultures at HBCUs? I don't know. I was a little naive about the whole thing. Do you? Did you ever see a lot of um, other uh, races and cultures at your uh, at Howard? Let, let me say this much, and just to piggyback on being naive. I went with that same mentality and that same ideology. Hey, it's just mm-hmm. black folk. Hey, I'm from Detroit. Right. You know the. You know it's going to be a similar setup. 
I had no idea just how diverse our people was. Mm. I mean, you got people like, you know, for example, you know, going in, I mean, like the people from, let's say, the West Coast, whether it's L.A., whether it's the Bay Area, et cetera, mm. they got their own culture, their own identity. Sure. You know, you look at the people, you know, back then, you know, it was, you know, uh, you know, P. Diddy was big, Bad Boys was big. You had mm. these cats with these doggone throwback jerseys on, mm-hmm. and the, the doggone, yeah, the, the Tims, your son, your son, your kid. Is that the kid. lean back era? Is that yeah, the lean no, back? Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. <laughs> you know, Bad Boy, I mean, like, you know, but you had to, like the Philly cats or the New York cats. I mean, like, you know, like everybody, like the culture was just so rich. And you mm. said, man, I, I never knew how diverse our people was. Mm. And then not to mention, you know, you had the folks from, like, you know, overseas, Trinidad and Tobago, the folks from Africa, uh, you know, the different, you know, countries in Africa and then just mm-hmm. understanding like, you know, like their culture is is, is regionalized. Yeah. And, and it's just, man, you just realize just how diverse our people really are. And you have no idea until you just step on campus with 7,000 people from, a you know, from entirely different backgrounds. Some similar, but many mm-hmm. different. On top of that, you've got your, your classes. Right. <laughs> you got your bougie folks, right? <laughs> I mean, let's face it, right? You know, you yeah. got your legacies and things like that. Uh, you got, you know, people like myself. And there's a lot of them that were there who, I mean, hey, this is our first time at college. We're going to figure this thing out together. Mm. You know, um, and, you know, you have people who, you know, like like my school, Renaissance, a lot of them, like, you know, they're, you know, they're, uh, they're uh, you know, they're, they're uh, you know, sons and daughters of people who have been in academia, right. teachers, principals, et cetera, et cetera. So the... Diversity on a campus is huge, mm. and it was something that you know going into it, I had no idea that I would encounter. Wow! Oh. Are we live, Charlemagne? You, 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 <laughs> you can hear him, right? Yeah. You can hear him, right? Uh, you uh, you want to say something? Mike, check one, two. Yeah, I can hear. Yeah, okay, yeah. okay. Hey. My, my exp- <laughs> black people sold me on Michigan State. Mm. Like you know, people that graduated from. Uh, Southfield High, like the year before or yeah. a couple years before, right. came down, recruited. Like, hey, like, it's going to be good. Like, you know, class, you know, of course you got to go to class, but this, this, that, and the third. So I'm like, cool, you know, I, I'll go. I I went to Michigan State because I didn't want to go to school with my brother. It was, <laughs> it was like really stupid reason why I chose Michigan State because he, you know, my brother went to Michigan. So, mm. um, so when I got up there, I really felt like they lied to me. Like, I got up there, it was. I was in complete culture shock. Like mm. I went to high school with five white people, mm. and then same I, here. <laughs> so right. when I get there, it's like, whoa! So like all I know about you know white people, <laughs> I know from like TV and then like the people that I encountered in high school. Like all yeah. oh, that, okay, they're cool, you know, whatever. But and but I did get involved. We you know like black student unions, mm, and no then doubt. we had. Um, you know, we had like, uh, like you know, the multicultural advisor mm. and stuff like that. But I kind of feel like when like those things are formed, they're like formed like as like out of reaction. Mm. Yes, and I, I got to piggyback off that. Go for it. Like they weren't formed. Like oh, okay, like it's all of us here. Let's just get together. It was all formed because oh, like I'm alone. Right. True. Like I'm isolated, and I need. Like people like to share my my story with. I need you know people to share resources with. So I don't like I like I took advantage. Uh, like not take advantage, but I did. Like I um I'm trying to find the words. Uh, like the black student unions. Like I did. Like all the like the other resources. I did like take advantage of those. Mm-hmm. No doubt. Yeah, I was going to say, um, I think it was by chance that I was at Michigan State, especially in my freshman year, because there were some 
there were some racial incidents that were happening on campus, you know, and, and there was a lot of racial subtext as well. Like I remember somebody had their laptop stolen and um, the description was two black guys. Mm. You oh know what God. I mean? And and there were there were incidents on campus where I felt a little like um stared at. And there was there, there was there's always been a black caucus um um community on MSU. Mm-hmm. So they had like this black power rally and it was it was actually like like Shana said, it was a response to everything that was happening right. at the time. And I felt it was beautiful. And you know, for a while I did go to the meetings, but then after a while I kinda strayed away and went back to my really regular cinephile cinephile community. But Again, it was in reaction, but I still felt like there there was a sense of community up there. You know, yeah. like people like to make jokes like um, uh, Holden Hall, like that's where the Hispanics are, right. the projects or what are the projects? Uh, the, 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 Brody, uh, Brody, 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 Brody are the projects, you know what I mean? Yeah. And Hubbard, all the black people in Hubbard. Uh, right, all the black people, <laughs> good times in Hubbard, you know, the good times show. Um, yeah, and, and it's funny, but at the end of the day, there is a little bit of like regressive um, a aggressive state of mind with that, with, mm-hmm. with those comments. And I did find a little bit of, I did find community at MSU. You know, mm-hmm. I feel like it's a complex, beautiful place. You know, let me uh, just piggyback off of what, you know, both of you all have shared <coughs> with regard to it being a response. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you look at even the Divine Nine, like the, you know, the historically black uh, fraternities and sororities, uh, mm-hmm. for example, mine was found at Indiana University. At the mm-hmm. time, you know, in 1911, January 5th, 1911, <laughs> one time for the noobs. <laughs> but, but at the time, you know, it was in response because there was nobody that looked like them at that campus. And more specifically, Indiana was called Clandiana at the time because mm-hmm. they had the largest makeup of KKK membership of any uh, state. So a lot of the organizations that we, you know, that we were part of, whether it's the Divine Eye, whether it's the BSU, has been in direct reaction or response to the lack of a feeling of belonging. You know, mm-hmm. you, you want to feel like you belong. You want to feel like that there's people who are struggling just like you are who can understand your struggle mm-hmm. and can understand your perspective. And as a result, that's why many of our organizations do exist. So mm-hmm. even if you don't, let's say, go to a HBCU and you find yourself in that culture shock, it's perfectly, I, I would highly recommend that you get involved in some of these organizations. Yeah. You know, oh, you know uh, what that? just happened? Technical oh, difficulties, little, folks. Just hold on. We're having a little bit of difficulties. It's okay. We'll be all up. right. I think we're good. All right, so hold up one, one one quick second. Let's go down a list of HBCUs. So we got Howard. Well, we got a ton. Oh, Boy, there's a lot of HBCUs. Well, the, the, the main big ones. We got Howard. We I got mean, you, you, you know you got Hampton, Howard Hampton Spellman Spellman Morehouse Clark Hillman uh, Fictional Cosby uh, Show <laughs> Fisk uh, Delaware State, which is where Hillman was uh, filmed. Yep. Talladega. Uh, um, Two of some time. I mean, I yes, guess. Grambling. We used to have one in Detroit. Southern, yeah, a Lewis, Lewis College, College of Business. business. Yep. Okay, no doubt. Let me ask you something. Did, did were you in a fraternity? Uh, when I was at Howard, I was not. Huh. Okay, uh, where, where were you in a fraternity? Uh, when I uh, when I went to Wayne State, I uh, became a member of a uh, Cap Alpha Okay, so what so what comes with that? I mean, like, I don't want you to you know, no tell, tell the fraternity secrets. Yeah, yeah, but, no doubt. But, you know, I mean, with me, I didn't want to be in a fraternity because I felt like I didn't want to be a part of the whole, you know, hazing to make you stronger kind of thing. Right. But that was just my, that was just on the outside looking in. Let me tell you, let me ask you, so what, what attracted you to that? So one of the things for me is that, you know, before I made the decision to join, this is what anybody would tell you, do your research, learn right. the history, learn the reasoning behind these particular organizations, why they were founded. And when you talk about the hazing, kept outside as a non-hazing organization. But 
but for you know, but as far as the reasoning behind the hazing, uh, I mean, there's a historical context to it, and I can't necessarily delve into the you know into it here. But right. I mean, there's a historical context behind the hazing. For example, the founders of Kappa Alpha Psi, they were hazed by the public. Mm-hmm. They were hazed by the by by Indiana University itself, and so as a result, you know, that's where these uh, you know, and then obviously there are some you know there there you know if you look at some of the history, some of the uh, rituals that existed in Africa prior to the transatlantic. Uh, slave trade, there were rituals that, you know, that uh, young men had to go through in order to achieve manhood. Mm. So, Mm. you know, so, you know, just to give you that perspective as far as, you know, uh, that part of it. But then, I mean, you know, when it came to me making a decision to join, uh, again, first person in my family to attend a a, a, a higher institute of higher education. Right. Uh, you know, I I felt I needed that guidance. I needed that. Hey, you know what? You, you know what's the next steps from here? Like you know, you know, as far as just you know, there's a lot of leadership training that exists. More particularly in my organization, I can't you know, and and they all are. I'll say this. You know, I'll make a blanket statement for all of them. They're pretty much the same in that regard. They're training you to be you know uh uh to be great men and to contribute to society. Mm-hmm. You know, and so be as a result, man. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Right. Yeah, and the reason I mention that is because I remember there was a film on Netflix called Burning Sands, mm-hmm. and I feel like that film, you know, it 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 it, it threw jabs at the hazing of of of, of black fraternities. But mm-hmm. I, you know, I wanted to say like it it, it was kind of like a little one sided. It's a good movie, but it was yeah. a little one sided. I kind of wanted to know well, what's the history behind all I that. I agree on I agree on that. When I saw that movie, I feel like a lot of fraternities and sororities do a lot of great things in the community, mm-hmm. right? And they didn't really paint that picture. It was more so, yeah, just the, the parties and the, you know the hazing. Stuff like kinda, that. Like, kind of off topic, but I purposely did not watch that movie because mm-hmm. I feel like that's like I'm not in a for I'm not in a sorority, but I feel like that like that's our secret. Like, why do we have to? Right. Well, everybody knows that, though. <laughs> no, it was well, not that, on that, film. That, that, happens, that happens in white sororities. They, but I feel like days. that's that's our like I feel like that's ours. Like, I, and I don't think it should be monetized or exposed. But it's universal. Like that, that the hazing is universal. I think that's what the film was trying to get at, mm-hmm. if you ask me. Um, but I hear what you're saying. But um, but back to the topic. Um, nice I, segue. <laughs> <laughs> when um when I discussed the you know the PWI versus HBCU mm-hmm. uh, argument with uh, African Americans that attend PWIs, the main issue that I hear is money. It's mm-hmm. like. I get more money, you know, attending like scholarships, grants by attending a, a PWI versus a HBCU. You know that that actually is a legitimate argument if we're talking about affordability. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, my niece she's at Florida A and M now, um, and it costs her close to forty thousand dollars a year to attend. Uh, you know, granted, we live in, in Detroit, which unfortunately, Lewis College of Business was the only HBCU that we have, like, within the next four-hour radius. Mm. Uh, so if we're going to go to an HBCU, we're going to be subjected to the out-of-state rates, right. which we know, I mean, it makes it less and less affordable, especially if you come from a, a, a different demographic where, you know, you have to rely on financial aid. Mm. Uh, in addition to financial aid, you'll find many times that the financial aid package is ill affordable uh, because you have to pay out of pocket. My niece, we had to pay, you know, we had to pony up with 10000 additional dollars mm. for our first year at FAMU, but we felt that was worth it. Yeah. You know, and, and this is what I had to, uh, you know, I had to sell my, 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 my older sister who, 
a single mother of two, she makes $40,000 a year, that you got to come up with $10,000 mm-hmm. to send your daughter there for the first year. Yeah. Uh, but but the schools are very, you know, when it comes to their resourcefulness, because historically, hey, you know what, we, you know, we have to be resourceful because uh, there's not a lot of funding, you know, there's not a huge endowments that goes to the HBCUs. Mm-hmm. So as a result, we've got to work with what we've got. So, but the schools are, are you know, are are very resourceful. If you can make it through that first year, they'll help, you know, they'll help make it affordable for you. And that's one thing about these schools is they're, 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 they have a huge support system and it's a family atmosphere Mm -hmm. and they try to, you know, do things to make it work. This is where, this is where I'm mad at some of the HBCU presidents is where Donald Trump brought them to the (laughs) White House, parade them around, you know, Mm -hmm. under the guise of, oh, we're going to give you our money. We're going to help you out. He didn't even help him out. It was a photo shoot. Glorified politics, photo shoot. man. We know what that is. Uh, yeah, that, I mean, but, you can't not be in the like. How many times that, are you going to be in a room with a billionaire? But they knew that, they, and you are and you're ahead of a black college. But you got to know Donald Trump's mo. Like he's he's not trying to help you out. He's caring about all he cares about is himself and how he's going to sort of make his America well, great again in his well, sense. Like I said, that's politics, man. Yeah. I mean, that this is this is what you get. You know. Um, if you ask me, I think it'll be better him talking to them instead of, you know, entertainers. Remember, yes. he was talking to Steve, Steve Harvey, yeah. Jim Brown. Um, Kanye West. Kanye West. You know, it was like <laughs> I'd rather him talk to people of real scholarly importance rather than entertainers. Yeah. I think, though, the sentiment from the alumni and from the students that were on campus, uh, you know, to your point was that they, they felt that they sold them out. Uh, you know, like you have to go with an agenda. You got to go with a plan, or somebody's gonna make it for you. Right. And, and at the end of the day, it that was what pretty much happened is that hey, he he had an agenda, and you know somebody's agenda is going to win. Mm-hmm. It didn't seem like they had an agenda, and his agenda was to so, say, hey, look, I'm good to the Negroes. Yeah. So uh, you know that photo op. I mean, with no substance behind it. I mean, it, it just it, it it really you know. Hey, you know, you want to talk about just, you know, falling for the okie doke mm. and hood weekend and bamboozle. Yeah. That's what happened. There's nothing wrong with pushing the black agenda, if you ask me. But my thing was it wasn't going to happen. You could try. There's nothing wrong with trying, but it's not going to happen. I think these people are smart enough to know that nothing was going to come. Nothing good was going to come out of that meeting. I know you got to try, though. Like you said, it's politics. You got to you got to at least go out there and try. But it. understand the students frustration the alumni base frustration because no they knew they knew what he was up to and they right. should have been smart enough to know that i got a question um what's i want to know what's the most important thing you learned from howard it could be as a black man or in general i want to know what's the most important thing you took from there let me share a story with you <laughs> all right so ahead. uh so i went to howard uh 2001 you guys know the attacks of you know september 11th happened mm. that year right um september 10th uh, was a day in which we got student, you know, in which we got visitation from mm-hmm. the opposite sex. You know, you go in freshman A, there's a boys' dorm, there's a girls' dorm. You know, <laughs> so before I got visitation, I would, I would sneak. You know, a young lady I was dating at the time into the dorms, and one time I got caught. Mm-hmm. Um, the director of residence life at the time, you know, uh, he had taken away, revoked, or suspended my privileges at, at the time. But what he, in order for me to get those restored, what he told me is I had to write a ten-page paper on what it what what it meant to be a man, what it meant to be a black man, mm-hmm. like that. That right there, that just sold me. 
right? Because it's like, you know, you know, if I go to anywhere else, I break these rules. I mean, you know, there, there's going to be some consequences, right. you know, behind this and whatnot. But it was just like, you know, again, going back to what we call that love and logic approach. Here it is that, hey, you know, I, you know, there could be some, you know, some academic penalties behind this. Mm-hmm. You know, there could be a lot of things that can exist, you know. Uh, but here it is that he gets it. He gets mm-hmm. me. And he's in my corner, regardless of, you know, if I if I screwed up this one time, uh-huh. it's not my character. It's just my actions at this time. And I think that that was just one thing that I learned about HBCUs is that they're about character building. You know, mm-hmm. at the end of the day, it's like, you know, you're going to learn about diversity, but you're going to build your character, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a- as you matriculate and as you learn, you know, both academia and then just what it takes to, you know, just be, you know, a, uh, a pillar in the community. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I know one. Some people say that with HBCUs, um, and this is this could be could be a myth. I know a lot of people generalize. They said that you can't, you don't have the opportunities to careers as if you go to you know U of M. That or is, somewhere a, else. that is. So I've heard people say that. Lie. <laughs> Let me. So I, I was at the school of, and, and I'm I'm just using anecdotal information at this time. Obviously, this is just my experience, and I, we can talk about uh, you know the career placement rates and things like that, yeah. but. When I, I was in a school of business and they divided us up into teams, each mm-hmm. team had a sponsored uh, uh, institution. Ours was mm-hmm. Abbott Laboratories in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they sponsored us. Uh, the the deal that they made with us is if we, you know, if we graduate from Howard, um, we're going to have a job with Abbott. Yeah. And. Uh, so with the corporate sponsorship, they're huge, especially, you know, back then. And, you know, when when I mean, there there are some that are still doing it and, and you know, some more than others. But they were looking to fill, you know, they were looking to diversify. Mm. And if you're looking to diversify, you know, where else should you go? But to the HBCUs, right. if you're looking to increase your African-American workforce. So as a result, they have these sponsorships with uh, different schools within the uh, HBCUs. And as a result. Uh, you know, I've got a lot of friends who were a part of my team who now at least were employed mm-hmm. at Abbott. So if you if you're if you're in the school of business, you're a part of this team, you're gonna get a job when you graduate. Mm-hmm. And so the universities have been, you know, huge when it comes to their uh their uh you know, their career services and whatnot of building these sponsorship and coalitions and partnerships. Mm-hmm. But I also think it's it's based on what you major in, no matter that's where true. you go. True, that's yeah. true. That's true as well. Got to be in those hard sciences, getting that mm-hmm. engineering science. Yep. I know for me at Michigan State, I, my my biggest issue was that I always felt that I was living between two worlds in a sense. Um, and I tell you, I this, I go back to my high school experience and move forward. So in high school, I love music. So music is my thing. I was a trumpet player, playing a marching band. Uh, when I was getting ready to decide on colleges, I had to decide between you know going to Alabama. Um, Sorry, uh, University of uh, Arkansas Pine Bluff to play music there in marching band or go to Michigan State. For me, I was I didn't want to go too far away from home. So I decided to stay in Michigan State and I joined the band at Michigan State. So when I got there, I was one of like five black people in the band of 300 people. And wow. so you, I really had to navigate sort of two worlds. Like this is a world that I was completely unfamiliar with. I mean, granted, some of my great best friends are. You know, white people who come from Michigan State were Michigan State marching band. So, you know, I built some really deep connections in that sense. But I always felt like, all right, I need to sort of keep that connection to who I am as, you know, a black man. And so I joined the, you know, black uh, uh, the student union, black student union in, in my, my building. And I was a part of the uh, intercultural AIDS. And so I had to keep rooted. But it was so hard trying to sort of like live between, you know, these two separate worlds, so to speak. And that was one of my biggest things. I don't know if you all felt the same in a sense. Um 
But I feel like that's unfortunate because right. you, you shouldn't have to, you know, make yourself or conform to different sets of standards. It was kind of a kind of a identity crisis with me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I guess I'll get a little personal. Um, in high school, I mean, I always felt like I didn't always fit in. Mm. Like, you know, like I because I, I spoke a little proper, you know, my, mm. my parents raised me to speak proper. You know, be like, oh, Anthony, you ain't black. You ain't down. You know, I, I would sometimes get that. Right. And, you know, when I went up to campus and, um, you know, I gained a little bit more confidence in my identity as a black man, there would be times in class where we would speak, we, film classes really, where we would either um, we watch a Spike Lee film or we talk about Tyler Perry. And most likely most people in the class would kind of look towards me to say something. Right. It was me and this other black guy in the class. We sat in the back row. Um, not because we wanted to, but well, yeah, it's because we wanted to. <laughs> and, you know, and I, I would give my little input. And I remember I wrote this essay where I compared the writings of Fanon. He's a um, he's a he's a famous writer. And I and I contributed to the experience of a white man in the Tyler Perry audience. Mm. And I got an A on that paper. And, um, you know, my writer was like, you know, you really touched on some good points here. You gave you 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 went inside yourself and you brought a personal experience to an essay and made it constructive. That's why one of the key moments in my life where I realized I was a writer, mm. you know, rather whether in prose fiction or just, you know, literary so with me, it was an identity crisis. You know, it was an identity crisis trying to fit in. No doubt. Hey, you know, code switching is just African-American and sweet potato pie. Right, exactly. You know, right. So let's just say that what it is. It's like, you know, when you're around your people, you can kind of let your guard down. Right. You know, you can, you know, v- vernacular, you know, having a sense of community, you know, uh, you know, vernacular is part of our culture. Right. You know, it, it is what it is. But, you know, but. We understand that when we go outside these doors, when we go outside the, the comforts of our of our community, the comforts mm-hmm. of our culture, we're the representative of them. Yep. And, and every, be. Yeah, every stereotype uh, that exists in our community, hey, we represent it mm-hmm. or, you know, or we have to break those barriers, uh, you know, because it's like, you know, just like you said, when you speak to your, you know, when you when you're speaking in your class, <laughs> let's face it, you speaking on behalf of every African-American mm-hmm. that exists. You, you are the African-American representative, uh, fair or unfair. It is what it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and it, so I think that, you know, when you when you go to a PWI or when you're employed, you know, at a, uh, you know, at a, uh, a, a place with less diversity, you're the spokesman. Mm. You know, like you're the de facto spokesman. I mean, it is what it is, and it's something that I think we all carry that burden, and we can share in that yeah. burden and understand that, hey, it is what it is. There, this is what we do. This is who we are. We're the spokesman. So, it, you know, I think that 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 challenges us to 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 think and speak more eloquently. Although mm. they'll just say, "Oh, you speak so well." Right. Which I mean, you know, we know it. I mean, that's a microaggression. Right. You're so eloquent. Yeah. <laughs> right. You're so eloquent. We know what that means. No doubt. <laughs> Magical right. Negro. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's, it brings up a greater story of how I feel like in society, you know, being the the, the, the group where we're not in a minority, I mean, a majority, we have to sort of, we have to go out of our ways to sort of, um, again, appease others, unfortunately, you know, being a, being a minority in the culture. And if you look at other communities, like a white person on campus of Michigan State, they don't have to worry about anything. They can be who, them, who they are. They can, they can talk the way they are. They can, they can just express themselves how they feel. Um, and again, it's just, it's just one of those things where again, code switching that we have to deal with on a on a daily basis in their workplaces and our, our daily lives. You know, it's, it's difficult, and it takes it takes a toll mentally, especially for a student who's you know seventeen, eighteen, nineteen years old. I had I had another story, but Shana, did you wanna did you got you got a story? Um, no, no, I'm not really. I just uh like 
like you were saying, like they really don't have to, like right. they don't have to adjust. Yeah. We have to adjust. Yep. And like he was saying, like right or wrong, just or not, it mm. it's, it's just, it's, it is what it is. Mm. But I think that's a lot, like, for to put on a teenager. Yeah. No, it is, absolutely. Well, well in a way, that gets you prepared for America. If you think about it. You know how to play the game? If you're at a PWI and the white person doesn't really have to adjust, but you have to adjust, that kind of gets you ready. You know what I mean? Like, I, yeah. at, at one of my jobs, there's this one guy that um, works with me, um, a white man. You know, he's um, he's— <laughs> He has his own personality. Once in a while, he might slip up and say a swear word. But, you know, he's looked at as the dude. Like, that's a, that's a dude. Yeah. If I slip up and say the swear word, I might get rolled up. <laughs> but at the end of the day, you, don't, you really don't have – they really don't have to adjust. You do. Yeah. Um, so I was going to say there was a story where I was sitting in one of the lobbies. I believe it was Holden Hall where I was living. I tried to get a discount because my last name was Holden. They laughed in my face. <laughs> <laughs> so I was sitting in the hallway, and I was kind of ear hustling a little bit. I was listening to this group of um, black black people talking, and there was this one guy that said, "Man, I'm only here so when I get arrested, I don't, I don't. I, there's less uh, less of a chance of me to go to prison." I'm like, "Oh, mm. I got a degree," and I, t- mm. I thought to myself, "Like, like." Nigga, that's the only reason why you're here? That reminds me of the OJ uh, song. I mean, the, uh, the, the uh, Jay-Z song. Right. Like, you know, the way I thought about it, I thought about it in that way, too. It's like, man, that's the only reason why you're here, just to have a degree. So when you face the judge, it's like, oh, well, you know, I went to college. I'm a wayward kid. And that, that kind of disturbed me in a way. And I'm like, is that is that is that what where some of the motivations come from with some people? I like I don't know like how often like you you know chop it up with people but at at Michigan State I ran into black people that were like if I didn't come to college I would be homeless. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. That's the truth. That's it's, something. It's it's just um the biggest thing and I know we talked about a little bit is the microaggressions that you know you face on a daily and macroaggressions uh, that you face on a daily basis, you know PWIs um you know just like the subtle jabs that that kind of hit you they sting when they shouldn't but you just know like they may not mean it that way oh no but in your mean, mind oh, yeah, oh no they yeah, mean it that way yeah let's <laughs> i went I, I i went to a party um i used to work at a home improvement store while i was in college and you know young lady white young lady she had a party she invited me mm. i brought her some cupcakes mm. because you know when we chop it up at work you know, we talk about our love for pastries. So mm-hmm. I brought her some cupcakes to her party. And the guy was there was like, oh, man, you bought some cupcakes? Black people usually bring guns to parties. Oh, my God. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's when a record scratch. <laughs> I ain't never ran into something that blatant. No, no I, I, I have. Uh, <laughs> I have. And, and let me say, like, it happens at Wayne State and, and it it don't happen at Wayne State. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it better not happen at Wayne State. <laughs> they need to understand that Wayne State, like you in my hood, right. this is Detroit. And Wayne State, actually, right. at the time, when I was you know undergraduate there, some of the numbers of, you know, that go back and forth between Howard and Wayne State, has the largest African-American undergraduate enrollment in the nation, wow. 7,000. So mm. you're going to pull that BS amongst the 7,000 here. That ain't going to happen in my neighborhood. Mm. I just need to let that be known. And I always let that be known, you mm. know, through my organization, the NBOBA, the National Black Operation Business Association. Mm. And anytime we had look, any, any encounters and whatnot with racism, well, you believe we was there and we was there with numbers. Yeah. You know, we had to shut down some of the local liquor stores and whatnot. We had to shut down uh, this one particular liquor store who was sending out agenda about uh, just African-American males, uh, you know, being thugs and criminals. So you better believe we was out there every single day. We had a block, you know, just people that were just there that would not let anybody in that doggone store. We processed it. You ain't going here. 
And you better believe that their business suffered mightily. Mm. So, you know, you know, like those things, you know, I, you know, those, those things weren't going to happen. Not at Wayne State. How far did you take it? Um, well, I mean, like, like saying, you know, you're not coming to this store. How far did you take it? We're live. I mean, we we, we got some, <laughs> we, we some listeners. We got to go to detail, but you know, no, but you know, I, and let me let me just say this much: is that you know, I I believed in what it was that the, the causes that we fought for, mm. you know, and, and you know, I mean, just like some of the other. Uh, you know, organizations before me, you know, I mean, you're willing to just give your life for the cause, mm-hmm. man. And, right. and that's just kind of the mentality of the, you know, that we have and that we still have is that, you know, I mean, you, you know, in life, you got to find some things in which you're willing to, to lay down your life for, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's family, you know, whether it's your community. I mean, you look at some of the leaders, Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, et cetera, et cetera. These folks, they laid their life down for it. Yeah. And, you know, if, if you're not willing to, then you're not living. So that was, so I'll just throw that there right. and we'll right, no, leave no. that there. I got it. <laughs> yeah, you know, when I was on campus and it was around the time the Trayvon Martin stuff was happening, you know, there were a lot of um, people of different races who were laying down in the street, you know, and they were kind of black in traffic a bit and in, and in the MSU library. And, you know, to myself, I thought, hmm, do I want to join them? My my answer was no, but I respected the cause and I didn't I didn't want to mess with it. But, you know, I was I, I said to myself, like, yeah, that's that's a cause worth, you know, like like putting your life down for. But I, but I thought in my head, is there different ways to do this, oh, though? Yeah. I mean, you, you talking about I mean, come on, I'm not going to go in the middle of a dog on Telegraph Road and just lay out. Right. Right. I mean, you know come what I mean? on. Yeah, I mean, there's different tactics and right. logistics that are behind, you know, some of the forms of resistance that you can take. Mm-hmm, you know, that, that ain't one of them. But it's all, so, you know, hey, you was right for that. I say that, you know, right. hey, you don't got to lay down in the middle of a dog on, uh, on Hagedorn or Grand River. <laughs> But I, and I think that the protests, especially around that time, and I was I think I was going at that time. I think it was what twenty thirteen when it happened. So I was going at that time. But so. you know, seeing it on the news, um, you understand that tactic only because you're trying to draw not really the shock value, but sh- but open people's eyes and so make people uncomfortable. When you make people uncomfortable, it makes them think a little bit, right? You know, um, and so I think tactics such as that, yes, it may not be the most conventional, but it causes conversation, and that's what ultimately we're trying to do. Great conversation. It's reactionary. You know how I feel. Like, I feel like, like, all the work that needs to be done, like, as far as, like, politics, black politics, it has to be proactive. Mm. Like, it should be proactive. Can we really do it every day? I mean, ask yourself that question. Can you really do it every day? Be proactive? Yeah. You're saying it's reactionary. I'm saying, can you really keep it up? Why not? I don't know. Some people, they don't have the strength for it. They get angry with that little bit of time and they fight. And then after a while, they calm down. You know, I was I remember I was watching a documentary called Who's Streets about um, the backlash against what happened to Mike Brown. Mm. They fought for a while. They did. They kept it strong. Some people started to stray away. Some people are still keeping the fight up. But how long can you keep it up? Well, I think that the, the key to that, and I get what you're saying, like, you know, there, there's an energy, there's an emotion that's right. behind it. Uh, but if you just take away the emotion to it, which some, a lot of it is fueled by emotion, and you put the logic behind it, mm. along with the organization and the logistics behind it, you can have a uh, a, a movement that continues, that's perpetual, mm. uh, until you get the desired results. I mean, you look at the civil rights struggles, I mean, we were talking about, it wasn't just the 60s. I mean, right. you know, this has happened even prior to slavery. I mean, excuse me, this has happened 
and even prior to slavery was abolished mm-hmm. is that they were you know pushing for you know equality they were pushing for justice they were pushing for suffrage mm-hmm. um, these things that existed for, for for decades and I think that the problem and you know maybe this is another topic is with the civil rights struggle is that it focused too much on uh, the the character or the 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 emotion or oh well you know as religious leaders, you know, you need to look at the, you know, the, the character of a man and things like that, as opposed to the economics. Mm-hmm. If you focus more on the economics, you know, such as the disparity amongst the, you know, the pupil spending in the classroom. Mm-hmm. If you focus mm-hmm. on the economics, such as the the disparity between the wage uh, gap. If you focus mm-hmm. on the economics of it more so, then you know you wouldn't have as many of the issues that we still continue to perpetuate today. Whereas mm-hmm. people now they're like, oh well, you know, like uh, here we go again with you know with this race baiting and things like that mm-hmm. in a quote unquote post racial America. I got a question. So would you consider a, a form of resistance for African American students at PWIs who feel that their needs aren't being met? Why don't they just leave, leave and go to the historically black universities? Why, I think that's the form of being proactive in terms of us taking our money away from them. Them, you know, use because again, obviously, the people who are there are that's money for the, for the institution mm-hmm. and a form of protest to be like, all right, I'm not spending my money, I'm not buying another book for this university if my my needs aren't being addressed. So, in that form, I could see you know students typically just leaving, just leaving those schools and going towards institutions that better suit. Or better acclimate those students. And you know what? You have that going on. Uh, even if you look at uh, it was uh, Spike Lee from Morehouse. He, mm-hmm. uh, he, he's got this hashtag come home uh, mm-hmm. initiative that he's been running, you know, as, as, you know, in response to a lot of racism that's going on, uh, you know, as some of the PWIs and whatnot that. That's a form right there. That's yeah. a legitimate and valid argument. And that's one that many have been making for years. And then one of the arguments that they initially made was, why did you leave in the beginning? Why mm-hmm. didn't you make that choice in the beginning? You know, does PWI equate to being better? Does mm-hmm. PWI equate to being a, a, a more quality education? And, you know, these were some of the uh, these are some of the struggles that, uh, you know, that that many had in the community had took up. In addition, if you look at, for example, one of the biggest uh Slavery institutions within uh, the college, uh, you know, within uh, collegiate America is is sports. Mm, yep. So, yeah. uh, you know, prior to uh, integration, I mean, the HBCUs, you look at the Southerns, you look mm-hmm. at the, you know, and, and some of the Gramblings, like the marquee African-American players they went there, yeah. Because, well, because they, you know, for one, they they had no other choice. They weren't right. allowed into the other institutions, but they went there. And as a result, you know, you know, those of us who were, you know, of the higher echelon, you know, the talent was there. Mm. And then, so as a result, what you see, what had happened was that now the talent, you know, is is being dispersed and the talent is being diluted uh, as far as the the enrollment and the numbers at the HBCU. Mm. So, I mean, those are definitely some arguments that you really have to start to explore. Yeah, so it's like a former reporter said, I think his name was Jimmy the Greek. He says, you know, the black male is mm-hmm. he's built for this sport. You know, he's um he's bred for this sport. You know, when you watch the the, the draft, it's like you're almost watching a slavery auction block. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It, it, yeah and it's unfortunate, though, that, um again, the institutions that a lot of these young black males are, are attending – they don't really care about them. Like a kid going nope. to Alabama, University of Alabama, they don't want really want any more black men at that school. No. At all. Uh, but they want them on their team. So mm-hmm. it's kind of like you got these two mixed messages. Like you only want me for this one thing, but you could care less about my life or who and, I am. And they make it known uh, when it happens. For example, when they speak up on social issues, mm-hmm. what do they tell them to do? Shut up and play football. Yeah. Yeah. 
So that, that that turns as a whole another conversation no <laughs> that we could have. So so what's it like? I mean, are we, are we reaching final thoughts or because I had one more question? Oh, excellent question. Well, my question was, what's it like running into different black people? Because I, I I heard you touching on that earlier. You said there's the there's the bourgeois people, there's the real people, there's the you know the hood Coast, people. There's a lot of there's a lot of different cultures. What's what's it like running into all of them? How do you know how to code switch like within black culture? Uh, you know what? Uh, that's that's a great question. Uh, and just recalling my experience there, uh, you know, uh, especially when you talk, talk about the bourgeois and whatnot, you know, right. um, it, it even go back to my days at, at, at Renaissance High School in Detroit. Uh, you know, you had those who, you know, come from this rich background where, you know, their parents were somebody's, yeah. if, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, one of the things that, that I found was that it, it it made me feel rich. Mm. And what I mean by that is that because I I I've, I gathered a further appreciation of who we are um, to just say, hey man we hey we ain't perfect right. you know we got some folks that's gonna pretend like they're perfect mm. we got some people who gonna still try to act like you from the hood but thugs don't go to college <laughs> uh, you know so I mean but it's just hey man you know we we all in this together uh, you know that's just you know that that was ultimately what the HBCU experience is for is for just pulling together regardless of where you come from regardless of you know whether you like hyphy music or whether you like uh, the Detroit Jit music it was mm. just some of the things that's before y'all time fellas <laughs> but it, it it was just some of the things that you just appreciated with the culture and the aesthetics of our people is that man we you know good bad or indifferent it's like man we got a rich history and we got so much diversity and it just it, it gave you just a different perspective so I appreciated that aspect of it good or bad like um my daughter's father he went to Grambling mm. and um you know I went to Michigan State so he and he was down in Louisiana for a long time he came back up here. And he was like, I don't understand how you can go to the store, walk past somebody in some Michigan State stuff and not speak to them. Right. He said, if I see somebody in some Grambling stuff, no I'm doubt. like, what up? Like, how no you doubt. doing? Like, when yeah. you go? Like, and stuff like that. He's like, y'all. He said, you will see somebody in some, like, in the Michigan State hat. Mm. Somebody will see you in the Michigan State hat. Y'all both will have Michigan State stuff on and nobody will say nothing. Yeah. It depends. It depends, though. I do walk up to people and, you know, sometimes I'm somewhere and they be like, hey, go green. I say, go white. You know, it depends. It depends on the person. You gotta make sure they they, they look okay. And you gotta look you at know. the you gotta look at the size of institutions as well. You know, typically your HBCUs are no bigger than two thousand, three thousand students on on average. And so when you got to a university like Michigan State, forty five thousand, you know, you I don't really know you like that. <laughs> but going going off of Dennis and your your last uh, uh, topic about the diversity within the black community, it's kind of interesting that you. We're starting to see a little bit more in terms of the media, media reflection of that diversity. Because, mm-hmm. um, again, first off, we're always looked at as a monolith. Like, you just, you know, you're a black man, black woman. This is what the world betrays you as. Right. But even shows like Blackish, you know, you're starting to get a little okay. bit more in depth um, look at, at, you know, black people's lives. That we're just not, you know, we, we do have affluent, you know, families. We do have families who are, you know, diverse in thought, diverse in. in in various aspects of their lives, and the the different world like spinoff yeah. of that, where the the daughters in college, hey, grownish, grownish, yeah, grownish, right, right. grownish, yeah. So which is showing you, and that's where we need to go. We need to have more you know shows to sort of celebrate that, um, and show that we are 
of diverse culture within ourselves. And I think we don't appreciate that amongst each other. You know, I think that, you know, and, and exactly, you know, and, and that's just a myth is that you can just stereotype or categorize 40 million people, mm, right. you know, and you got to think about that. We're talking about 40 billion people. Uh, Metropolitan New York is about 20 million, mm. you know. So, I mean, and we're talking about one of the largest cities in the world. Right. There are 40 million of us. I mean, you're darn right we're going to be different. Right. And so that's just some of the things that you just you, you, you start to realize when you just take it all in and you go to a school and nobody's from, for example, D.C. And there are some there, but everybody's from everywhere else. Mm. And it's just like you all just come together. And it's like, man, it's the experience is just like no other. You know, it just gives me, like I said, it gives me a little, you know, nostalgia to thinking about it because, you know, unfortunately for me, I wasn't able to uh, to to graduate from there. And, and there's a story behind that. I, I was a victim of police brutality. Uh, November, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. November 7, 2002. It is what it is. Um, in the city of Bethesda, Maryland, uh, their police department. But wow. um, but it, it just gives you that nostalgia. And, and you know, I kind of, you know, I live vicariously through my niece who's down in Florida uh, and, you know, and it's just one of those experiences that just say, man, if, you know, if, if I didn't have a family, right. if, 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 you know, if I didn't have my career, if I didn't have my roots, uh, you know, right here, you know, it, hey, I'd go back, you know, mm-hmm. I'd go back, I'd pursue a PhD at an HBCU, you know, it, it's just, man, you just feel like you're home. Yeah. You're a parent, so are you going to steer your children towards HBCUs or are you just going to have them make their own decision? Let me tell you, that? let me tell you something about my kids. They, they, <laughs> They my kids. <laughs> so, I mean, so that they understand that I'm a little bit more forceful when it comes to my parent. And I'll be honest with you. It is what it is. I'm an old school black parent. You, you, hey, I brought you in this world. Anyway. So, <laughs> we, we know I go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We know, no, yeah, know the rest. Right. So, no, but I mean, I think that, uh, you know, ultimately I do want them to make that choice themselves, uh, you know, but at the same time, it's like you're darn right, I'm going to be selling some of the benefits of it. Right. Uh, and then when it comes to making it affordable, I mean, you know, whatever I got to do to make that happen so that, you know, so that that's off the table. And I think that as parents, that's why it's essential that we make sure that we put ourselves in that position so that, you know, mm-hmm. that the financial decision isn't a decision. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's something that, you know, that, hey, you know, even with VAC kids, you know, hey, yeah. We got to do what we got to do, you know, really? to, to get you wherever it is that you want to go so that you can be whoever it is that you, you know, that, that God put you on this earth to be. Any any final thoughts, y'all? This is a good topic. I think this was a good episode, yeah. man. I, I, You know, thank you for joining thank us. Yeah, for sure. Thank you. For sure. Hey, I appreciate you guys. And I, I really want to say that any institution, PWI, HBCU, it's about what you make out of that experience. No um, so, yeah, again, if you're making that decision for yourself or for your children, Figure out what their passions are, what they what they would like to do, what they would like out of their education, and just really try to try to breed that, you know, get that out of them. Um, but that was a great topic, y'all. I definitely enjoyed it. Yeah. Please. Episode, what is episode twenty? Uh, this this is episode twenty two. I oh. made a mistake on the last oh, okay. one. Okay. Okay. This is episode twenty two. Uh, like and subscribe us on iTunes yep. under Can We Talk on SoundCloud. We're under Podcast Detroit, and then you can find us under Can We Talk. Yeah, like and subscribe us, spread the word. We're trying to take this to new heights. Dennis, you want to share? You want to drop any social media? You want anybody to follow you on? (laughs) Hey, man, be one of my my 800 followers on (laughs) Instagram, (laughs) DT underscore 1911. I might only have 12 posts, but I might might, might post a little bit more, you know. Hey, thank you all. It's been a great talk.